Welcome to the Thrive Space Podcast, conversations that cultivate your heart and your company. I'm John Erickson here with my co-host, Dennis Humphrey. We're both business owners who love to develop other thriving leaders who understand how to lead from their hearts. Every month we have an ongoing discussion with leaders like you and those who support you. Our guests range from company owners, experts from various fields and stakeholders in business, industry, education, and healthcare, among other fields. Our desire is for you as a leader and for everyone you influence to thrive. Hello, I'm Dennis, and welcome to the second year of the Thrive Space podcast. Let me remind you of the questions we began with our last episode. As a leader, are you aware of the mental health crisis that is emerging from the last two years of living with the pandemic? How do you care for the mental health situation of those in your life and your business? In our last episode, we begin a discussion that is meant to address how the ongoing state of our world is affecting our business and our employees, especially around our mental health. Nearly two years into the pandemic, coexistent with several national crises, we feel the tension, the physical symptoms of stress, the relational effect of trauma, and we are seeking ways to take care of ourselves and those around us. We want to understand what's happening, how to understand the changes in our relationships, behaviors, and responses. We need to know where to turn, who is safe to talk to, what resources are available for myself and those I lead. Today, we welcome back to our podcast, my brother-in-law, mental health counselor and fellow business owner, Doug Samsel. Doug Samsel is the founder of Great Oaks Counseling Center in Bozeman, Montana. He has over 25 years of experience in clinical mental health, and he keeps a finger on the pulse of trends, therapeutic techniques, and the best practices in his field. Together, Doug and Dennis bring over 60 years of experience, learning, and wisdom to our understanding of mental health issues and how to address them in your leadership situation. I'm grateful for the opportunity today to guide this two-part conversation with them that will bring you understanding and value for addressing mental health in your life and in your leadership. We're going to jump right back into the middle of the conversation that we began last month. Let's change the, the direction here just a bit. And let me ask you from the perspective of the person who is struggling. They have felt stress. They're working more than they've had to. They, uh, they're feeling the weight of the isolation. Um, they're sensing that something's going on inside them. They're not responding well to the world that they're in. They're snapping or they're, they're tired or they're less motivated or they just know something internally is wrong. Now they face a couple of issues. One is, is it okay? Is it safe for me to talk to someone I work with about this? You know, who do I talk to? What do I say? How do I describe this? What do I need? And then from the perspective also to say, if they said, okay, go get the help that you think you need, what would I expect from one of you two? If you were recommended to me, go see Dennis, go see Doug, they can help you. What should I expect? Because I've never done this before. I've never felt this. I've always been able to handle life. Talk into those two issues a bit. 
I think from a from just kind of a general idea, when someone comes into my counseling office, it's important for me to hear their story. But what's really important is for them to come to a measure of comfort. This is your story. So often we we don't like our story, we don't want our story, but but healing comes when we go, okay, this is really happening to me. This is this is my life, in many ways, a radical acceptance of that in an environment where someone doesn't flinch. Because for many work, many employers and many managers, when someone comes in with a mental health crisis or, or some other type of concern, you know, the experience is much like deer in the headlights. We think we're totally inequipped to deal with this, and we're not. It is very simply, like we said earlier, asking simple questions, listening listening to this story. And then when they come to us, our job is to help them. They may not like their story, but they got to get comfortable with that that's real. And then we can help them move through it to, to a redemptive end. I think going back to the first part of your question, John, what does the business do? And I would say that goes back to what Dennis originally said. It is so important in the onboarding process, in the HR manual, as reminders throughout quarterly meetings, hey, if you're feeling X, Y, or Z, uh, the person for you to speak with is about this, and they will be really helpful with getting you connected with people that we've vetted and we trust in our community to help with those things. Because an honest communication about the current mental health crisis that's going on and the current levels of isolation people are experiencing, the more you talk about that in appropriate ways and point them back to the resources that are available to them, the more likely they are to expose themselves to those resources. I think along the lines of what Dennis was saying, I'm pretty similar. My first goal is for a person to begin to feel comfortable in the context of talking with me that you know, there's no judgment. There, there can even be laughter at times. There can be wittiness depending on who the individual is but really ultimately in my layout of what great oaks was going to be it was finding your true design and there's no way to find your true design if you haven't actually looked at the story of your life and what shaped you to view yourself the way you do and to view others uh, the way you do so working through that and coming to know you know a lot of business professionals live in their heads And they've got to be able to move out of just being an intellect to having an embodied connection with themselves and others. And, you know, there's some psychoeducational stuff that goes along with that, teaching them how to calm their bodies down, teaching them how to be present. But ultimately, it's for the purpose of them truly becoming comfortable with who they are. Because when that takes place, then they're truly comfortable to be with other people in celebration or distress. And we, uh, you know, in our work, Dennis and I, we have stressed of being heart forward leaders. You know, our thesis, you know, the, the centerpiece of our world is that you're, you will either flounder or flourish in all your relationships, depending on how well you know and care for your own heart. And I think that's important as a leader that you're also paying attention to the hearts of the other people that you work with. And so part of this mental health issue comes down to this idea of, are you paying attention to the hearts of the people around you? The most valuable 
and, and you know this, and you've been told this in business school over and over again, the most valuable asset you have as a company are the people that work for your company. And if you are not taking care of that asset and building it up and making it as valuable as it can be, you are never going to flourish as a company. And so that's our, our passion. So let me change the, the, the tone just a bit again. John, here. John, if I could just jump in on that, just because we've talked a lot about employers with their people. But I think it behooves us to also say, listen, there's a lot of business owners who struggle with depression and anxiety themselves. And so their self-care does radiate down through. And so if, if anyone's listening to this and they're saying, oh, my goodness, it's not my employees, it's me. The greatest thing you can do for the health of your company is, is just pay attention to your own health. Absolutely. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's what we say. Pay attention to your heart and pay attention to the hearts of the people around you. And I also would just want to say that, yes, there has been over the course of time a stigma attached to mental health and a stigma mm -hmm. attached to mental health care. And the idea that, oh, I need to go to counseling or, oh, I, I can't handle myself. It's too, my job is too stressful. And men especially, I think, see this as a weakness, and to admit that I need help, you know, I need to go get care is something that is just so hard, especially for men, many men to admit that because that feels like a failure to them. It feels like they're incompetent in some way or that they're, they're going to be seen as, as not as valuable or, or they're going to be disconnected in some way if they admit that there's something that they need help with. And we would encourage you, the three of us, would encourage you to please to come and talk to people, trust someone in your life with that sense of weakness. Because my guess is, is that the culture we're in, somebody in your life is going to pay attention. And if they're listening to our podcast, they're probably going to be even more motivated to pay attention. So pass our podcast around. I really do think, John, that especially in our Western culture, autonomy and strength have been linked together in a way that is just so dangerous, especially for men, that really the strength comes from the capacity to be present, honest, transparent with another human being. And re-quoting Brene Brown again, we're neurobiologically wired for relationship. But our economy is based on autonomy. And so <laughs> we've got a real tension that who we are needs relationship, but the bottom line is affected if we can do it by ourselves. That that's the theory that's been purported for the last 50 years. Back to what Dennis was saying though earlier, if you take the risk and break that theory, you will see an increase in the bottom line because people who work together and have a sense of being valued and a sense of safe will be more productive than people who don't. And that's you as a boss, as well as every employee that you have. And I think too, you know, businesses are always about data, data-driven, 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 rightly so. Never before in a time in understanding mental health do we have more data that says this is, this is beyond character. 
This is beyond your socialization. There is a whole body aspect to mental health. And that's why you saw when the Affordable Care came Act came in that mental health treatment was mandated as part of every policy. And so, and so this has become, this is shifted more and more into a medical perspective beyond just the cultural uh, stereotypes and the cultural biases we've had. There's a temptation for business owners to look at the, the value cost of things. And sometimes these soft skills, these soft issues, these things like mental health, uh, if they're not aware of them, they don't understand that the cost of these things is much higher than some of the other things they're avoiding. So take the time to pay attention to the value that good culture, good health, good mental health, heart care is to your company. Because over and over again, we see that the companies that pay attention to that thrive in ways, even financially and productively, that companies that don't pay attention to those will. Let me ask you guys some specific questions now around this uh, and become as practical as we can be in this. Uh, we've talked around the idea of the crisis and, and some of our values with it, what our understanding of its causes, some principles and thinking around creating good culture. But let me ask you some specific questions now. Um, if you are a leader, if you're a parent, if you're a teacher, if you're a, an administrator, a business owner, um, where do we go? What are the, the, the methods and the tools that we have to, to address this? What are the resources that are available to us? Where do we, where do we, where do we turn? What do we do? What's our, what, where do we start? Well, on the business side, I think it, it, returning, like Doug said earlier, a responsible company is going to gather resources for its employees to be successful. And one of those is through the benefits plan, through developing a network of care providers around these issues that can be integrated into the workforce. Certain organizations, John, you and I know about workplace chaplains or marketplace chaplains. And, and there are entities and organizations that will partner with businesses to provide that, that buffer zone, to provide that extra eyes and ears to help care. So marshalling resources for employees in this area is, is one, one way we do this. What would be a practical way to do that, Dennis, do you think? Do you think having someone on the staff of your company that is trained to be the person that people go to if they have an issue, is, it, is, is one of the better things to do to have a connection with a marketplace or a corporate, cha corporate chaplain? What's, what do you think is, a, a, what are some effective ways to deal with this? Well, clearly it's, it's going to be impacted on size of company and budgets, right? So the idea being... First of all, it starts with the leader and, and what are they actually trying to drive as a culture and, if, and from a set of values. And if those are in values that value people, they'll, they'll move in this direction. But I think as, as companies grow out and their HR policies form and develop and then they start to staff things, yes, having a dedicated person. Also, you know, John and I, you and I work in crisis a lot. And one of the things we will say to people is don't plan for a crisis in a crisis, plan ahead of a crisis. And so for companies to be thinking about mental health crisis and mental health need across the spectrum, whether that's a, someone's lost a loved one and they're grieving to someone has a psychotic break at work and, and now they're coming in with a gun. 
you know, you need to have a plan and ideas and policies and procedures for everything in between that. And so planning for this is the preventative piece, is the start of the preventative. Thinking in the lines of some practical ideas, if you're providing insurance for your employees, every insurance policy has a list of preferred providers. Even if you're a small company, you doing some boots on the street and finding out who has a good reputation in your town that is someone that works and, and sitting down with them and asking, is there a way for me to retain some portion of your availability? Um, what would that look like? It might be an expense that, you know, a counselor would guarantee you two spots a week for a set charge or two spots a month or whatever. But do the work to find out people who in the community that you're offering them to see really are good therapists. The more that you hook them up with someone who's going to be truly helpful, the better you're going to feel about it. There are great businesses. There are great doctors. There are great therapists. There are terrible businesses. There are terrible doctors and there are terrible therapists. And so to care for your people well, do some work to try and, mm -hmm. and secure people who really are effective in the things that we've been talking about. Another simple way, and, and if multiple companies did this in a community, it really would provide well for the broader workforce is you have spaces that can be dedicated to efforts to help this. So, you know, do you, do you dedicate, do you use your conference room to run an AA meeting, you know, an NA meeting so that people either don't have to leave uh, the work, the workplace or there is another place that they can go and be anonymous and and get some care and so even using our facilities for the community during the work hours with some of these programs can be very helpful your local health department you know will often come in and do in services for your employees you don't have to make the curriculum they've got it it's good and, and they're going to then talk about what are the resources available in the community. And they would love to partner with you because that's what they're there for. There was a rather large corporation in St. Louis that did a little bit of downsizing. And they actually had a floor of one of their buildings that was available and rented it out to therapists and built relationships with the therapists that they were renting space to. And I just heard two years ago that it was one of the best things they had ever done and that they were so glad that they had tried something new and had a, a really good success rate with people being willing to go upstairs and into an office space and get the help that they needed. We're, we're often talking about strategic alliances and strategic partnerships, and, and that's just what we're talking about here. Do, are you creating a strategic partnerships and alliances with people that can care for your people? One of the realities, and this is proven statistically through data and uh, you know across the board, is that mental health affects people of minority status and of lower income status at a much greater degree. Uh, than it does the rest of the population. That's not to say that others aren't, but there's a disproportionate amount of people who either don't have the resources or don't have the connections or don't have the understanding to get the help that they actually need. And if you're running a company, and this I would speak now 
Um, not to the IBMs out there or, you know, not, not to the big, huge companies, but to the small business owners. If you run a machine shop, you've got a bunch of people out there on the floor working every day who are at the lower end of the spectrum in terms of, of the economy and, and of society, not always of society, because some of them are very highly skilled. But or if you're running a company that employs a lot of service workers, you're running a company, you're running a roofing company, you're running an agricultural company, and you have a lot of workers who work at the, the lower end of the pay spectrum. It's often it's in those places of your company where the highest level of need is going to be found. And so if you are that kind of a business owner, if you own a service company, you own a company where there's a lot of employees who work at a lower income level, make sure that you have you go out of your way to, to, to take care of that level of your company. It's one thing to have you know, your, your C-suite taken care of with a great healthcare plan. But if, if you're in that place where you have those kind of workers that are part of your company, we behoove you to, to make sure that you're paying attention to that level of your employee well, and that you make sure they have an, a, maybe an exorbitant amount of care beyond what, what they would normally expect to make sure that your entire company is working and that you're taking care of that level of people well. They, they they're they often are the ones that struggle the most. You know, it's interesting, John, I was having a conversation with an owner of a McDonald's franchise, and she said that in the last three years, the entire model at McDonald's has had to shift. That in the old days, it was really a revolving door of employees. If an employee didn't do something you liked, you fired them, and there was another one coming through the revolving door that you hired. But with the crisis that's happened since COVID, they are looking at retention for every employee and making sure that those employees feel valued and have access to resources that historically they didn't even consider. Um, there really is that need. And according to her, it's made a huge difference in the last year for the quality of work that they're able to do because the people are being treated well, they're getting healthier, and they're wanting to stay with a company that is valuing them in the ways that this particular franchise has set out to do. This is a reality across the workforce now because uh, we're seeing retention being, again, one of the main struggles uh, for company owners. And providing these resources and taking care of the people that you have already in your company is not only the right thing to do for them, but at the same time, it has an awful lot to say to your bottom line as well. So anyway, these are great thoughts. Let me ask you a couple of very specific questions around a couple of topics here. One is I want you to talk the issue of suicide. Suicide is real. We were just at a conference with business leaders from across the country, and one of their main concerns was, was the issue of suicide, suicide prevention, when they see depression, how do they deal with it? Um, so talk into that issue for a bit in, uh, from your perspective. I mean, again, we're repeating ourselves, but making sure that your employees have access to good care. I mean, having posted in various places, even the suicide hotline, that that's in the manual. People being able to connect when they are at a place of that kind of despair is the number one thing that helps. 
you've said earlier, John, and, and completely agree with you that even just asking, hey, how are you doing? Um, Dennis, you mentioned that in regards to the shooter, that had someone done that, the potential would have significantly decreased for what he chose to do later on that day. So we're kind of saying the same thing over and over again of make sure that they know there are resources that they can reach out to. I think, you know, when, when these events and these issues start to, you start to see them manifest or you're worried they're going to, the number one is train, train your leaders and managers. There's, there's organizations will come in, give you, once again, give you an in-service, educate you on what to look for, number one. Number two, uh, always take it seriously, but, and sometimes with this, you have to trust your gut, especially in the area of suicide. It is, it's never the wrong thing to pick up the phone and, and call 911 if you think someone is in imminent danger, even if you're wrong. It's, it's an act of care. It may be hugely disruptive. You may make an enemy, but it is an act of care. And so if someone just senses something, trust that sense and move into it. You can, as an employer, if someone's not showing up or hasn't shown up for a bit and they've just gone dark on you, you can call the police and the police will do a wellness check on them. Mm -hmm. And you're perfectly right to do that. And no one's, no one's going to get on you and you're not going to get attacked or sued or litigated because um, that's, that's just a measure of care. And, um, and, and that can be done. Both Doug and I, in our histories, no doubt have done this several times. And so uh, in the area of suicide, if you don't think you can leave their presence or you don't think you're going to sleep at night, pay attention to that. That's really important. You don't have to be a trained professional to, do, to follow that one. One of my favorite shows was Magnum PI growing up. And he used to talk about his little voice that he sometimes listened to and sometimes not to. Man, if that little voice is talking to you, listen to it and listen do something the person may not be happy that you chose to do that initially, but if you've built the kind of culture that John and Dennis have talked about, the high likelihood is that they will come back eventually with a sense of gratitude to know that they were cared for in that way. If you happen to be in a situation where there's someone else in your company or someone else in your life that is the better person to ask that question, you know, it's okay. You can walk up and say, hey, would you just check on, on Sarah? Um, just see how she's doing. Mm -hmm. That's okay. Be wise and take the initiative as a leader to make sure that your people know that you care about them and that the people around them care about them. Doug, you mentioned a book earlier. It's one that both Dennis and I appreciate a lot. The Body Keeps the Score. And in that book, uh, one of the issues they deal with is trauma. And you know that we have, uh, in the last bit, probably uh, seen more uh, trauma responses and even uh, reactions to the pandemic and the isolation have brought out uh, what seem to be trauma responses uh, in a lot of people. That's a different issue. It's a different issue than depression or suicide or, or some of the other things, but it's, it's a critical mental health reality. Um, so talk a bit about that and um, how to recognize it and, and what our resources are when we see that situation. Well, I think I'd, I'd start first with that oftentimes when you see depression or anxiety, 
it can be a symptom of trauma. Um, and so it's not always as disconnected as sometimes we believe. In fact, Vander Kolk, the one who wrote the book, he and many others have done research into trauma and its impact on many of the diagnoses within the DSM-5. He was probably the first professional that simplified trauma for me in a way that was so helpful. His statement about trauma is that trauma is the experience of being powerless. And in that context, we've all experienced trauma. I, I remember being a kid and being pinned down and tickled until I was completely out of control. Now, do I have post-traumatic stress disorder from that experience? No. But was there something that kept me wary of those kids for several weeks, if not a few years after that experience? There really was. And so trauma is the experience of not being able to be volitional in a situation that's going on around you. And so COVID has both been a traumatic experience, but a triggering experience for so many people who have a history of trauma as well. And the research points even to the most severe types of trauma, like sexual abuse, that for women, it's 25 to 30% of women. And for men, it's 20 to 25% of men. And so trauma is a very real experience for a major portion of the business leaders and employees in the companies that are out there. I'd agree. And I, I think classically, we think of trauma as a guy that gets his Humvee blown up over in the Middle East. And that is indeed true. But I think what we've learned is, is you can have cumulative trauma through a number of little things. And, and trauma really, in some ways, individuals act very different in different levels of resiliency but two things that come along with that one is that that isolating factor that i'm powerless i'm alone but the other then is this overlay of shame that's rarely talked about with trauma that trauma really profoundly impacts a person's identity and and anyone that's had ptsd or, or powerful traumatic events they, they're going to come out of that with identity questions. Who am I? Why am I here? What all of this? And so recognizing that, that people, it's not just they have trauma, they're now kind of, they now have an existential crisis of their life of, of identity and who they are. You may not deal all directly with that in your workplace, but you can certainly work to scrub any level of shame out of your, your operative way in your workplace. And you can be affirming of who a person is beyond their behavior, and those help with the trauma situation. I'm someone who's experiencing that in a way that maybe I haven't before. I didn't realize what it was. What, what am I expecting in terms of care? If someone is experiencing trauma or they're experiencing the effects of trauma in their life and they wonder, what do I do here? Is is therapy the thing I do? Is there some other care yeah. that I should attend? Should I go to the hospital? Well, in some ways, trauma, I, I'm going to say this, treating trauma in some ways is simple. Because a big piece of trauma is once a person starts to recognize, oh, that's what's going on. That's what my brain is doing. And a, and a, big, a big part of trauma on the front end is just some psychoeducation. This is your brain. This is your brain on trauma. And when people know that, that 
piece of data alone starts to open up some daylight for them to now process and, and what's going on. It's it, the nature of trauma is it it doesn't tell you that what you just went through is not the norm, is not the intent. Trauma fronts with a lot of identity lie in the wake of it. So just once again, we're creating awareness. How do you, when this happens to you, what goes on inside of you? And we can teach people what to look for in their body, what to look for in their thoughts, all kinds of things. Doug may have more to add to that. Well, I think along those same lines, I, I would very much agree. And we are in a, a culture now that trauma is far more simple to treat than what it was 20 and 30 years ago. When I was trained, trauma was in my whole graduate program, I received absolutely no training on yeah. trauma whatsoever. And as I've worked through the years, I've realized, I would guess 80% of the people I work with have either traumatic experience or even uh, what Vanderkolk calls traumatic neglect. And that that really does shape a person's sense of identity and sense of safety. To take what Dennis said a step further with shame, you know, there's shame is an experience of, of being small, of not having meaning, and really an experience of I don't matter. And so oftentimes, the unhealthy ways that a person deals with that shame is through contempt either of the person who makes them feel small or contempt of themselves the moment that you begin to help them see that that trauma is actually a biological response that their body is having um, you open doors for them like dennis said to consider different pathways out of that experience um, you know, my adrenal levels go up, my vision gets very closed, I become someone who is fight, flight, or freeze. And if I know that's simple neurobiology, then I can begin to do things that help me to not have those responses and get back in my body and feel safe again. Yeah. Just to give you an example of how a, an owner might address something that's traumatic in the workplace. I was in a meeting last week and, and this gentleman was sharing, he runs a machine shop. He had a brand new hire, young guy, 22 years old. He's early on the job and he does something and he wrecks a half million dollar machine. He makes a mistake and he wrecks, he's brand new to the company and he wrecks a half million, you know, his salary, he's, he can't recoup his salary over the next five, seven years for the damage he did. And the owner walked up to him and all the owner said was, oh, well, what'd you learn? And he approached him sensitive to the reality that that young man had just had won a traumatic event when you damage something like that, you make a mistake on that level. But two, the level of shame that's now going to flood in. And this business owner didn't even go to the shame. It's like, well, that happened. So, hey, what'd you learn that won't happen next time? And that young man now can come back into work the next day and not worry about what his boss thinks of him. There was a, a construction company owner that did almost the exact same thing. Somebody two weeks in running a lift and overextended the lift and it literally fell through the plate glass window they were installing and i don't know the quantity of financial damage that it caused 
But the owner of the company walked over to him and said two things, not just one. Wow, I am so thankful we have insurance for things like this. And what did you learn? Mm -hmm. And just that sense of not being held responsible. You know, when you create an environment as a business owner of a learning environment, people want to be a part of that. When you don't, the shame increases and people leave when they're experiencing shame. Give us one thought about mental health and especially mental health in the workplace uh, that you'd like to leave our listeners with, Doug. Well, I guess my first response would be, I'm, I'm just grateful that we're having this conversation. And I'm grateful to those people who are listening to this because you're showing a level of care for your employees just by educating yourselves. And I think I'd go back to a couple of the things that we've said and make it the primary issue of the business owners. How are you caring for yourself? Um, and some research that I came across in a book called Heartbreak, you know, our, our culture is talking a lot about self-care these days, um, and appropriately so. There's a need, but the research is showing some fantastic information that makes a delineation. Um, Pleasure-based self-care versus a self-care of purpose or a purpose-based self-care. A purpose-based self-care leads to greater resiliency in the workplace and in the home in a way that a pleasure-based only allows a relaxation in the moment. And so it's not that you shouldn't have pleasure-based self-care. It's that you need a diet of both, a care for yourself where you are building something that is beautiful that you enjoy, not just going out and having a beer with a friend. Doing both will lead to a healthier context in the ways that you relate to yourself and your employees. This has been a helpful and insightful conversation. Doug and Dennis, thank you so much for sharing your heart and your experiences with us. Let's uh, make this practical for you right now with a couple of questions to think about. Number one, how aware are you of the mental health challenges where you lead? Number two, how do you care for the mental health situation of those in your life and business? An important resource for your employees in this area might be workplace chaplaincy. Are you aware of the effectiveness of a workplace chaplaincy? Do you need to reach out a chaplaincy program for your employees? We're glad you joined us today. Our continuing conversations will bring life to ideas that will cultivate your growth and your success as a leader. You can access our other episodes and more great information at the thrivespacepodcast.com. We publish a monthly blog that is available on our website. There's a number of other helpful resources there, along with recordings of past webinars we've done in a number of subjects. And we're planning to have another webinar, this time on August 17th, where we'll address this issue of crisis and mental health and how you as a leader can address it in a helpful way with some resources that you'll need. So until then, we're looking forward to seeing you next month for our continuing discussion around your life 
and your leadership so that you can thrive. Until then, I'm John Erickson. And I'm Dennis Humphrey. Take care.